If you would, this morning, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. And uh, like always, we'll be uh, looking at some passages that we will also have on the screen. We'll be looking at some select passages as we um, close out this series, Where is God? By looking at Where is God When I Feel Trapped? I want to begin uh, this morning by um, asking you this question. Uh, How often have you used the following six words? Not quite what I was planning. Have you said those recently? Have you, have you said it from maybe a, a deep place of consternation, of pain, of bewilderment? Um, not quite what I was planning. In fact, I learned this uh, week, uh, last week actually, that there's a book out entitled Not Quite What I Was Planning. And this book asks people to encapsulate their lives, sort of a, do a six-word memoir. If you were to talk about your life in six words, uh, what would it be? And it ranges from uh, the book that I looked at. I read a good portion of it. It, it ranges from humorous uh, to heartbreaking. Some of the, the six-word memoirs include uh, things like the following. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. I thought, I, I thought I'd be a better Christian, trying. Psychic said I'd be richer. I wondered, I began to think, what would writers of Scripture, characters uh, in the Bible say if it came down to, uh, to six-word memoirs? Uh, Abraham would probably say, left Ur, got pregnant, still laughing. <laughs> Jonah would say, no, storm. Overboard, regurgitated, yes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would probably say, um, King got hot, furnace was not. <laughs> the prodigal, uh, the prodigal son would probably say, Bad, sad, dad glad, bro mad. <laughs> the, the Good Samaritan would probably say, I came, I saw, I stopped. What would be uh, your life in six words? The, the, the premise of the book was that for a lot of people, it came down to something like this, not quite what I was planning. Whether it was heartbreaking or a little bit humorous, uh, it seems like every life could ha- has that uh, at the core. Not quite what I was planning. There's a different script. This morning I want to uh, share with you that there's another uh, six words that can be uh, very important about this thing that we're all living, and it's the following. Life offers opportunities. Life poses problems. We all agree with that, no doubt. just depends on where you are this morning, what you sense, what's happening in, on the horizon of your life, uh, what you're dealing with. But think for a moment about the Opportunities that are offered. I, I, I love one of, one of Paul's favorite sayings for me is found in Ephesians 5. He talks about uh, the days are evil. He said it back then. Don't you think we could say it now? The, the, the days are evil. And he tells us to therefore redeem the time, to live with wisdom, to make the most of every opportunity. I, I find myself praying that a lot when I'm, when I'm at meals, when I'm having 
breakfast or lunch with some of you. And if I'm asked to or I volunteer to pray the prayer, I don't pray that God would lead God and direct us or the food would strengthen us to the nourishment of our body or that. I, I pray God, I, I found myself praying a lot, God, thanks for this food. Thanks for this friend. Thanks for this time. Thanks for this day we've been given. Let us make the most of every opportunity. I wonder what your opportunities are today. Maybe you're faced with graduation soon. Young people today want to follow their bliss. They want to find a job that offers a lot and including autonomy and something that they can really do well and contribute. Maybe you're facing uh, an empty nest and suddenly you have time and freedom and possibilities. Maybe you're in transition. You know, never before have so many people been changing jobs and companies and careers at such a fast pace. Maybe you're in a rut. Uh, your life is safe, but it's not fulfilling. And you find that, that tug within you of do more, be more. Maybe this morning you're on the brink. Maybe on the brink of an exciting relationship. And you're wondering... Is this the one? Is this the right one? And you so, or you're so excited and you so want to get it right. And may I suggest you really do want to get that one right. What's the, the opportunities in your life? Maybe you're um, looking at retirement. And if you've been to Fondren Church, you've heard me say there's no word, no Greek word or Hebrew word in the Bible for retire. And you're not ready for death or shuffleboard. And you're wondering how God can use you this time in your life? What are the opportunities? Are you ready to make the most of them? Life offers us opportunities and life poses problems. Now, if I were to bet, I want to say something really strong, something I'm very convinced of. In fact, if we're, if we're playing cards, I'm pushing all my chips on the table here, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm betting everything on this. That if you don't have problems, you won't think of God a lot. Now, do you want problems? I don't. Do you want problems? I do. I do because of the result. You see, what I'm betting on in your life is this, is that if everything goes your way, if, if, if people are praising you, if, if, if everything is solid in your life, there are no circumstances or critics, no adversaries or obstacles or adversity in your life, then you're thinking very little of God and a lot of yourself. And conceit grows in your heart and it can, it can become the downfall. I know because it's in mine. And with problems, they're very real in our lives, but God has an intended purpose for them. Life offers opportunities. Life, life poses problems. Six important thoughts. And let me share with you a, a sequence because I think we, our theology is bad. Our experience of seeking to walk with Christ, it, 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 gets, it goes awry at times because we have faulty notions. And I want to share with you a sequence. I believe it, it starts like this. When you have opportunities and you have problems, you're, you're, there are decisions that you and I have to make. And you want to make the, the right decision, don't you? When you have a problem, what do you do? When you have an opportunity, what's God calling you into? You want to you go the right road. There's a sequence, and it, it's this way. God gives you a dream. And with that dream, he urges you to make a decision. And then he allows a delay. Because the delay 
is part of a process that will prepare you and it will mature you. But in the midst of the delays, there will be difficulties. And those difficulties in the delay are designed to call you into a deeper faith. And it's time, let me just say this, I'll start preaching for a second, but it's time for some of you to get out of the shallow pool, to take off the little floaties, and to go deeper in your faith. There's a goal to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, The scripture uses the beautiful phrase that we are to be firmly rooted and established. There should be a depth to our lives. Uh, the, The book of Proverbs says this, if a storm comes, and storms come to everybody, but if a storm comes and it knocks you down, your strength is small. Who wants small strength? Uh, Don't you want to be strong and sturdy and ready for whatever comes your way? Now, let me go back for that. God gives you a dream. Then he urges you to make a decision. Then he allows a delay to mature you, to prepare you, and then the difficulties come. And all of that is, is God's design to call you into a deeper life. A, de- a life with more substance. Now we see this with the people of Israel in the story that we've been following, Numbers. Chapter 11. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Don't you hate when people gripe and they gripe real specifically? But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Moses had his own gripes. He took it to God. The people went to Moses. Moses goes to God. He, Moses, asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Notice the depth of his angst. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? People that blame things Never change things. Somebody said that. I stole that off the internet. Somebody also said on the internet, be careful who you quote off the internet. You don't know if it's accurate. Uh, that was Abraham Lincoln. But what? Notice the blame. Notice the blame that's happening here. And Moses, called by God, dealing with adversity, trying to be the best leader that he can be, and he feels trapped. He feels trapped. There are a lot of misconceptions about what people uh, think is in the Bible. You ever had any arguments about what's in the Bible? Drawing a sword on somebody, you know? I remember watching a football coach resign, and actually he was kind of forced out. And he said, well, as he came to a press conference with the microphones around him, he says, as the scriptures say, this too shall pass. Now, I was cheering for the guy, but the scripture never says, this too shall pass. Uh, The scripture never says, uh, God helps those who help themselves. In fact, that's a very um, unbiblical idea. Uh, Really, the opposite is is true. Those who are self-reliant, who are are trying to help themselves and do it on their own, uh, don't find the mercy and help that they need. It's, as we said earlier, it's the people who are contrite and broken before the Lord who find help. When God uh, closes a door, he opens a window. That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? That was said by the superior mom in, um, what was that, 
help me out, Lady Gaga sang Sound of Music. Yeah, Sound of Music. Uh, I, there's various versions of that. The one I like the best is when God closes a door, Julie Andrews opens a window. That's, that's not in the scripture. Uh, some of you need to know that dog don't hunt. That's not in the scripture either, okay? Verily, verily, I say that dog won't hunt. That's not in the Bible. Sounds like it's in Proverbs, um, but it's not. You know, we have a faulty notion and we, we think this is a biblical idea. And I know, when, I know when I say it, you're going to rise up a little bit. But hear me out when I say this. We oftentimes, when, we have, when life offers us opportunities and poses problems, we have to make decisions. And we will say to our family, our friends, the folks in our small group, the people at church, those closest to us, we will say as we've sort of made a decision or about to make a decision, we'll say uh, the popular phrase, I just don't feel a peace about it. You ever, you ever said that? I, I just, I don't feel a peace about it. And there's this, this assumption that if there's the, that we interpret it this way, that you know, the, the presence of some internal anxiety in our lives is some spiritual reason not to do something. Now think about it for a second. Now Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, God will keep the person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Jesus said, I'm teaching you these things. The world's going to have trouble, but I'm going to give you peace. You will overcome the world. But there's no verse that says, I just don't feel a peace about it. Now when life offers us opportunities and poses problems, when we're feeling trapped, it's, it's easy for us to think this is the way that it works, that God does the following, that there's a calling, okay? And then after that calling, there's what? There's a deep feeling of peace. And with that deep feeling of peace, there's a decision to obey. And then from there, it's smooth sailing. Don't you want that? I mean, that would be it. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Calling, deep feeling of peace, decision to obey, smooth selling. But I, I, don't, I don't know of one single account in Scripture where that's the case. Life is more this way. There's a calling. And then next, there's abject terror. And then following that, there's a decision to obey. And following that, there are big problems. And following that, there are, there's more terror. And following that, there are second thoughts. And following that... You repeat a lot of that. And following that, deeper faith. And leave that up for a second because I see that in the life of Moses. I see that in the people of Israel. There's, there's a sequence. And see, some of us think just because you're having second thoughts that that's an indicator that you've made the wrong decision. And can I just challenge you on that? I want to submit to you this morning, real quick, five things we see in Exodus from chapters 3 and 4 and 5 related to Moses, the opportunities and the problems and the stuckness, the, the, the feeling of being trapped, the claustrophobia that he had, the, the terror, the problems, the, the second thoughts, the decisions that he had to make when he made those decisions looking to God. 
in times of desperation and wondering, God, what have you gotten me into? And I want, I want, I, I, I really want, I prayerfully want some of you to hear these biblical ideas this morning because you're there today. Some of you are there today. Second guessing, not knowing if you've made the right decision, needing to make the right decision, feeling trapped, not knowing uh, what to do. Moses, in his relationship with God, brings to God very authentically, he brings to him five deficits that he has. The first one is what I call the inferiority deficit. And it's found in Exodus chapter 3. The inferiority deficit. We went on to the passage. Some of you are like, how do you spell inferiority? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? He felt inferior. Now, let me ask you, church, why did Moses feel inferior? Anybody want to guess? Want to take a stab? He felt inferior. You ready for this? Because he was inferior. He, he wasn't the most stellar candidate for this role. In fact, I'm looking for the times when God chooses the most stellar candidate. Moses said, who am I? Who was Moses? He was abandoned at his birth. He was rescued uh, on a river. He was adopted by a single mom. Uh, he was a, a Hebrew being raised in Egyptian culture, had a, a deep sense, as we looked at in week two, a deep sense of woundedness, of not knowing his identity. Uh, he had anger management issue and wanting to uh, side with his people and solve an injustice. He ended up murdering a man. He became a fugitive uh, of justice. He spent 40 years in the desert, uh, many of those working for his father-in-law named Jethro. Who wants to work for a father-in-law named Jethro? He tried to eke out a modest living with very few luxur luxuries and comforts. Who was Moses? Who am I? Moses said. Now I ask you, can you relate? Because I can. Make no mistake, there's no level of false humility when I say, I look around and there are better preachers, better teachers, better leaders, better husbands, don't say anything, better fathers, don't say anything. They're just better people, better men than I. And I feel inferior. And one of my weaknesses are sometimes the thoughts that roll through my head. It's just me, right? Y'all don't struggle with this. Just oblige me for a second. But sometimes I don't take criticism very well. Sometimes I hear uh, that one person's unhappy, and I assume that everybody is unhappy. I take one little gripe, and I turn it into a whole chorus line. I'll, I'll run to the worst-case scenario just, just based on the strength of one shadow or one rumor that happens in my head, and I, it's a great and glaring weakness that hurts me as a leader. It, it, it's a deficit in my life, and there are times when I have to say, who am I? With things going up, up here, who am I to be the man that God has called me to be? Who am I? And I ask you this morning, what about the feelings that you have of inferiority? A second deficit that Moses brought to God was the authority deficit. In Exodus, it says this. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers, you can tell he's thinking this through now. He's thinking it through. 
If I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, already playing those scenarios, right? And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. One of the great passages, I think, in all the Bible. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Years ago, I've shared this with a few of you, but years ago, when, when I was living in uh, Miami, um, we were mentored by a great couple who worked with Athletes in Action. And this man, Steve DeBartolabe, and his wife Arlene were just godsends um, into our lives at the early part of our marriage. Uh, Susan can tell you, we're still uh, fond of them, and they've just meant the world to us. If you're a newlywed, you're struggling with stuff. I know you are. Don't act like you're not. And get an older couple who can help guide you. And we had that in our lives. And I would laugh at Steve at times because he was so networked. I mean, this guy just knew people who knew people who knew people. And he never acted like it was a big deal. And I'd go over to Steve's house. There'd be some mega celebrity. And I mean mega celebrity at his house. And I'd be like, you know, acting like it's a big deal. And Steve was just calm. And he just treated all people the same. And Steve DeBardlaben was and still is the chaplain for the Miami Hurricanes football team, several of the professional teams, including uh, the Miami Heat. And this is back in the day when the Heat were no good. But he asked me one time to go do the chapel. And the chapel, the, the game that weekend was the, the Heat versus the Bulls. And I was scrambling at the last minute, grabbed my Bible, had, you know, had a sermon, had a preacher three-point outline, a couple of athletic illustrations. He was trying to do my best. And I hustled to get there, and I had my credentials on, and I got one of the best parking spots. I got one of the, the best entries. I got a VIP room. I got to hang out, and I got to do the chapel. And right when I walked in, here comes a lot of good-looking athletes, you know, in their custom-fit, tailor-made suits, Armani polish, and I look over, and from me to Brent on the front row is, is a guy you've heard of, Michael Jordan. And I remember thinking, whoa, I'm shaking in my boots right now. The greatest basketball player ever. Now, what I'm sharing with you, I know I'm name-dropping, okay? I'm guilty. I've committed a sin. We all know that, right? But let me be honest. Michael Jordan didn't want to hear me speak. Michael Jordan ain't coming to this church. Michael Jordan doesn't know who I am, right? And I, I got there, I, I'm able to brag about that experience, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I gained access from parking to the VIP room to being able to speak and interact with some famous athletes, not because of anything that I'd done, not any, any of my credentials, not any of my authority, but because I knew Steve DeBartolaben, I had access, I had an invitation, I had a platform. And you know, who, who am I? What do we tell them? What will people say when you share with them the cause, when you seek to raise money, when you're wanting to build something, when you see a need and you want to make a difference? Who am I? On whose authority? What are they going to say when they find out it's me? And who am I? I love what Jesus taught in one of the great passages, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Some of you know it. He said for, that we ought to go, that we ought to go into the world that we ought to make disciples, we ought to teach and baptize. And he said, all authority has been given to me, and we go under his authority. A third deficit that Moses brought before the Lord was what I call the credibility deficit. Look at Exodus chapter 4. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to me or listen to my voice. You could circle that word. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Now, in the Hebrew, 
the word that some of you circled actually means fat tongue. And Moses is saying, I am not eloquent. I, I can't do. Now, here's what's interesting. A lot of American churches build a lot of their discipleship ministry on the idea of find your strength and go do it. Now, do you agree with that? I, I think I do. I, I think I do. In fact, I've, I've got a chapter and verse, 1 Peter 4.10. It says, minister according to your gifts. So I, on, on my office, or in my library, I've got books called Strength Finders, uh, great books on leadership that says, who are you? What's your passion? What's your proficiency? Find it out and then use that. But yet here we see a great instance, and many more times in Scripture we see an example where God takes someone's greatest insecurity and he calls that to be the thing that they use the most. Isn't that fascinating? The credibility deficit. You know, later, let's go, let's go, to, the, let's go to this one real quick. The fourth one is the ability deficit. Moses says this related to his ability, Exodus 4.10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my, Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Here he goes, the, the, the lack of ability. And here's what God says. If you follow the story and you're reading later, you'll see that God asked Moses, to, to, he asked him what's in his hand, and what was in his hand, it was a staff. And he asked Moses to throw the staff down, and the staff turns into a snake. He asked him to pick it up again. Uh, not many in the room would want to pick up a snake again. But he asked him to pick up the snake, and it becomes a staff. What's God trying to teach him? I think what God is teaching him is what he wants to teach you as well. He wants to start by what you already have. What's in your hand? When I'm offered an opportunity, when... Life poses a problem to me. The first thing I do is look at what I don't have. And I feel like God has been telling me to look at what's already in my hand. And what is in your hand? Maybe it's intellect. You have the ability to imagine, to think, to, and to create, and to conceive. Maybe it's strength. You have the ability to build, to produce, to work. Uh, most of us are blessed with friends and family and colleagues. If you can read and write you are in a category where only 30% of the people of the world can do that. 70% of the world cannot read or write. There's a, a couple in our church that are working with adults in the neighborhood teaching them to read and write, hoping that they could get their GED. You have things already in your hand. If you drive a car, if you have one automobile at your house, you are considered to be in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. What do you have? If you've been through something, if you've been through an addiction, an abortion, abuse, miscarriage, a divorce, you have that. It's, it's, it's in your hand, it's in your life, and God can use that very thing for his kingdom, for his, for his cause. The last thing beyond the other four, the fifth one is the availability deficit. And what's interesting about this deficit, Exodus 4, 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And this is the instance where, this is a little bit unique, this is where God actually gets angry at Moses. And this, in a way, uh, it invites me to think of my conception of God. You see, God wasn't angry at Moses for what he did. It was what he didn't do. 
Some of you have that view that God's out to get you. We, we talk sometimes, uh, you've heard the categories, maybe if you've been at church any length of time, there's sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of commission are sins that you, um, that you do. It's an act that's a, a sinful act. Sins of omission is what you don't do. And we see God, we see God getting angry at Moses because he, he wasn't available. His life wasn't fully offered. He wanted to send somebody else. Contrast that with Isaiah 6 where the prophet says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Here I am, Lord, send me. And I ask you, are you available? Are you available for God? Are you available to let him show you the dream that he has for you? To, are you available to walk into a decision as he, as he urges you to make a decision? Are you willing to, to wait on the delay, to be in that moment when the delay matures you and it forms you and prepares you? And are you willing to accept the difficulties? Are you available or is your life filled up with too much me stuff, too much entertainment, too much social media, too much stuff that's just, it's just to consume it upon your own lust? And the idea of following Jesus is just a little addendum. It's just a little add-on to your life. Send somebody else. Easiest thing to do for an American Christian is to throw a little bit of money in a plate. The easiest thing for us to do is to continue to sit in rows and think, well, I'll pay, and the people that are on the stage do the ministry. Are you available? Are you available to be used in the way God would have for you? Life it's not what we think, is it? It's not quite what I was planning. If you say that this morning, if you said it recently, think about the sovereignty of God. Think about some of the misconceptions that you probably have about how God works in us. And then I like the first call. I like the idea when I get a call and I feel this deep sense of peace, and I make a decision, and they're smooth sailing. But i got to tell you, that's not working that way for Robert Green. And one of the reasons I believe God has great plans for Fondren Church is it's not working that way for Fondren Church. God is delaying things I think he wants to do. He's allowing some difficulties as he's building us to be the people of his own to value him and to lean into what he's saying, to hear his voice and follow him in a better way. Would you pray with me? And as we bow and our team is going to lead us in a moment, I wonder what your prayer to Christ could be now. What, what deficits have you offered up to him? What excuses? Inferiority, authority, credibility, ability, availability. Where could God bolster you? Where could he strengthen you in the inner spirit? 
What faulty notions have you been thinking? God, I pray I pray for folks who really feel, the, feel trapped in the not quite what I was planning. God, I pray for all of us because we're all here and we all are in the world of opportunity and problems. And God, for those who do feel trapped, I pray that you would lift, that you would lift us beyond the realm of human reason and understanding and give us eyes of faith. Lord, you, you want to give us a dream as a church and as people. Lord, you want us to be willing to obey. So give us wisdom, God, in the second guessing, in the difficulties, in the delays. Lord, give us what we need to follow hard after you. God, I pray that we would find your presence in our lives as we ask the question, where is God? That we would seek after you in an earnest way. That we would be the people that Hebrews 11 talks about, that Moses exemplified, people of faith that believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who earnestly seek after you. Receive our worship now, Lord. In you we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? And a few of us are going to be down front and would love the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, decision that you're making or need to make, anything going on in your life, would you reserve this time? And honor the Lord just by being courageous. Give us the opportunity to pray for you. We'd love that if God's leading. Let's all stand. Let's all sing. And for some of us, um, let's pray together um, for God's grace for your need.